Major funding for Backstory is provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities, the University of Virginia, the Joseph and Robert Cornell Memorial Foundation, and an anonymous donor. From the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities, this is Backstory with the American History Guys. Welcome to the show. I'm Ed Ayers, and I'm here with Peter Onuf. Hey, Ed. And Brian Ballow. Hey there. In 1864, a man named John Smith Dye published a book called The Adder's Den. It was something of a conspiracy theorist manifesto, and it centered on what 19th century Americans called the slave power. What Dye, a Northern Republican, meant by slave power was this. A conspiracy of Southern slaveholders was controlling the entire U.S. government by blackmail and murder. So, for example, in 1841, uh, William Henry Harrison died. He was the first president to die in office. This is Jesse Walker, author of a book on conspiracy thinking called The United States of Paranoia. According to Dye, this happened because he told John Calhoun that he wasn't sure he was willing to annex Texas, which the Southerners wanted to add to the Union as a slave state. And when he died of pneumonia right after that, Dye says, no, 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 it was actually arsenic. That was 1841. Nine years later, another president died in office. That was Zachary Taylor. Like Harrison, Taylor was a Whig. And like Harrison, Taylor resisted the expansion of slavery in the American Southwest. So, Dye concluded, it was only logical that Taylor, like Harrison before him, had been poisoned by the slave power. Now, this account of the slave power's machinations got more elaborate from there. For instance, there was this description of the attempt on the life of President-elect James Buchanan. According to Dye, on February 23, 1857, agents of the slave power poisoned all the bowls containing lump sugar at the National Hotel in Washington, D.C. The idea here was that Northerners drank tea while Southerners drank coffee. People who drink tea, according to Dye, use lump sugar, while people who drink coffee use pulverized sugar. So, by poisoning only the lump sugar, the slave power agents could wipe out the tea-drinking Northerners, including Buchanan, while leaving the coffee-drinking Southerners unharmed. And so, when Buchanan, uh, you know, drank the, the tea and then got very sick and barely uh, survived, Dye wrote that he was intimidated by the attempted assassination and, quote, became more than ever the tool of the slave power. That was the theory. In fact, Buchanan wasn't even in D.C. on the day of the alleged sugar attack, and there's no evidence that Harrison or Taylor were poisoned either. But still, the Adder's Den was a huge hit. The New York Times gave it a good review. The Chicago Tribune excerpted it. Uh, Republican papers in a bunch of cities around Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York praised it. Even the Easton Express, uh, which was a Democratic paper in Pennsylvania, called it, quote, the most powerful book of this century. What was the appeal? Dye's book had tapped a vein of thinking that was already widespread in the North. For decades, Northerners had been speculating that the slave power had set its sights on the White House. 
when Lincoln took office as president, uh, he received letters from ordinary citizens telling him, watch what you eat, watch what you drink. They poisoned uh, Taylor, they poisoned Harrison, they could poison you too. Generals Harrison and Taylor came to their sudden and lamentable ends by subtle poisons. General Harrison lived but a short time after he was installed in office. General Taylor lived but a short time after he took his seat. You, sir, be careful at the king's table what meat and drink you take. Although the facts in the letters were off, their warnings were prescient. Lincoln was ultimately assassinated and by a Southern pro-slavery conspiracy. The plan was to restore the Confederacy by killing Lincoln and his successors, decapitating the federal government. After decades of conspiratorial thinking, a real conspiracy had finally come to fruition. This week marked the 50th anniversary of another presidential assassination, that of President John F. Kennedy. In the years since 1963, Americans have struggled to understand what happened in Dallas that November day. The Warren Commission offered some answers the following year, but its official report hardly put the questions to rest. For decades, alternative accounts have been bandied about, suggesting that there may be more to the story. This year's anniversary triggered a new wave of books about the assassination. And recent polls report that something like two-thirds of Americans don't believe that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. Why do these conspiracy theories continue to hold so much power 50 years later? And what do they tell us about our own time? It's easy enough to dismiss these theories. But might there be something about conspiracy thinking that is deeply and fundamentally American? Those are some of the questions we're going to be exploring for the rest of our hour today. We'll hear how fears of a vast conspiracy in the 1830s helped mobilize a brand new political party. And we'll look at how a theory about tampering with the public water supply jumped from one side of the political spectrum to the other. <laughs> 